Father, would you speak? For we, your people, are listening. We live in a place where we can crowd out your voice so quickly. I know that is true in my life. There's so many good things out there to listen to, to fill our minds and our hearts. But in these moments here, as we gather as your people, would you speak? Speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're here for the first time, I don't know how, how many of you might be, but uh, we've been doing this series on the Ten Commandments, literally the ten words, as the Hebrew scriptures put it, the ten words of God to his people. And the very first week, we actually didn't talk about any of the commandments. We talked about uh, God identified himself as the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That God utters these commandments only out of relationship. And then the very first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And if, if, if I could, uh, um, you know, we're going to read the text in a second, but uh, um, it, it, in some ways, what God is setting up in these commandments is, it's the what of worship. He's saying, I and I alone am God. There is no other but me. That's the what. And in this scripture tonight, we're going to actually, uh, I think, talk about what I would say was, is the how of worship and also the why of worship. But we're going to unpack this a little bit. And before I get into this, um, I know that if, if you are a college student, and even if you're not in school right now, you are confronted by an enormous amount of words every single day. I know. I get it. I'm, if you had a bunch of classes today, I'm the fourth or fifth voice that you have sat and listened to today. I get that. Um, and I'm okay with that. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just another voice in your life, okay? If you come regularly or if you don't, whatever. But I have become convinced, and, I, and even as a pastor, I'm going to confess something to you that I didn't take seriously the words or the word of God as probably as seriously as I do now. I mean, I, I think it, it, it was a teacher in my life that, that unpacked the reality of the brilliance of Jesus as a teacher about the human situation that made me realize that when I open up the Bible, these are words from somebody that we confess, we profess, we believe, fashioned the world with his voice. So the words that God utters to his people are not just for a Bible study or church on Sunday morning. These are the words, as the apostle Peter said to Jesus, these are the words of life. Where else are we going to go? And I invite you that as we start to talk about the ten words, the ten commandments... To, to maybe read these familiar words with that in mind. Now, I am not saying, by the way, that everything that you are studying is useless, okay? Let me, let me put your college education in perspective for a second, okay? And I don't think I'm overstating this. Some of you are learning words. Some of you are learning facts and things that will one day save somebody's life. Some of you are learning 
how to teach in such a way that children in a public school will gain worth and they will believe that they can do something. Some of you will will open up other people's minds to the wonders of this world. Some of you will reach out and speak for the oppressed and the, 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 those that are suffering under injustice, and you will fight for their rights. Some of you will open up a business that will bless five, 10, 100 families and meet a need in a community or meet a need in the world that has never been met before. So don't hear that this is the preacher standing up here and saying only God's word matters, what you're studying in your classroom's bad. No. But recognize that these words that we get to look at have tremendous weight if we will listen tremendous weight and in fact if you'll let them they might actually inform all those things that I just said all of those things that we study in God's word might actually have something to say about what you're going to do for the rest of your life so that's my little thing on uh, on words you know there's this quote um, I don't know how many have read this book uh, by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. And this quote is in there by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And Tozer wrote this, that the most portentous, okay, you can use that in a paper, and it'll get you big points, okay? It means kind of um, it's synonymous with ominous, but it has this, it's, it's, it points to a sign, okay? So don't misuse it, all right? But portentous, the most portentous fact about a person is not what they do or say at any given time. It's not what you say or do at any given time that's, that's the most important or weighty thing about your life, but rather what you in the depths of your heart conceive God to be like. Tozer said that the most important and weighty thing about yourself, about you, is what you conceive God to be like. Because I'll tell you something, if once you grasp an image of what God is like, It'll affect the way that you see other people and the world that he has made and is restoring. So, let's jump into the scripture for tonight. Max, can we go ahead and put it up? It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, here's the, the, kind of the how of worship. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. And here's the why. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, this might seem a little bit backwards to you, but this week we're going to talk about the second part first, the why. And then we're going to talk about why I think it's important that God said, don't make any idols in when it comes to worship. Now, there are some words in here 
And the reason why I talked about words at the beginning was, is because this is what this talk is going to be like. There are three things that basically we're going to try to unpack here because I think that we have trouble when we read these. One is jealousy. And we're going to talk about jealousy first, okay? Because we don't have a positive view at all of jealousy. So when God says, hey, don't do these things because I am a jealous God, we struggle with that, right? None of us have lived in an environment where jealousy is a good thing. So let's, let's talk for a second about what jealousy looks like in human terms. This is, I, I asked a handful of people, some of our staff members and students and things, about this word of jealousy. And I learned some things. I'm going to start with guys and guys for a second, okay? Guys. Why do we, when we're around a whole nother group of guys, and there just might be some females present, do we slam each other and make the other person look this big? Some of that is jealousy. Girls, you probably wonder why guys do that, right? One, they're trying to impress you, but they do it by making somebody else smaller. Why? Because we are all tremendously insecure. And the way that we begin to feel better about ourselves is by making ourselves look greater in the eyes of other people. Because if we're honest, other people always have something that we don't have. And that in, incites this jealousy within us. We might be jealous of somebody's looks, somebody's popularity, somebody's intelligence, somebody's, somebody's social skills, somebody's wealth, somebody's, well, you know, it doesn't matter. We can want something that they have. We can desire to even be who they are. And I'm going to say something to you. In your college years, I watched so many students walk into this university, and over the years, they take turns either imitating somebody else that they're not, until they start to figure out who they really are. And it's like at some point they finally say, forget all that other junk. This is who I am. This is who I've been made to be. And it's a good thing. Now, girls, you are not off the hook. I have it on good source <laughs> that some of you girls have a hard time affirming another girl about something because by saying that even some other girl in your friend group is funny or something, that means that you're not. So you are reluctant at times, right, to say something positive about one of your friends because you're jealous of that thing in them. Or you do this number. I've sometimes overheard this kind of thing. Um, the girl might say... <laughs> I'm just not, I'm just way too shy. I just, I, I just can never go up to people and talk to them. And the friend does what? No. You totally, oh no, you're awesome in social situations. Why do you say that? Right? But in your head, what are you saying the whole time? Yeah, you are kind of quiet. But no, you're fine. And you might not ever pin that down as jealousy, but I think it's in there. 
that we like to build ourselves up because we're all insecure, guy or girl. Now, guys and girls, I don't know how many of you girls or guys have been in a relationship with a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend. Not that fun, right? One of the things that, that as we were talking about this at a staff meeting was that, that I thought this was, just, here are three things that often happen. One, you feel like you constantly have to defend yourself, right? When you're with somebody that's jealous. I know I was just talking to him because he's in my class. I had to get the notes, you know. Uh, uh. You got to defend yourself. You have to change who you are, right? Remember that joke I made last week about imagine if you went on one date and the next day you got a text message saying, you shall talk to no other guys but me from now on. Some of you would have to change who you are, right? If you got that kind of text message. You would have to change who you are. And so when you're around that jealous person who doesn't trust you, you have to think about changing your behavior and who you are. You have to defend yourself. You have to change your behavior. And you, ha- you have to kind of pretend to be somebody that you're not. You have to kind of, when you're with that person, guy or girl, you kind of put on a certain facade right in front of them to keep them happy. Now, think about those three things for a second. You have to defend yourself constantly. You have to change who you are and pretend to be somebody you're not. Now, let's put God as the jealous boyfriend for a second. How many of us live our spiritual lives in front of him with those same three things. How many of us treat God like we always have to defend ourselves? Well, I didn't make it to church, I didn't make it to the house, whatever. And by the way, I'm going to just say this up front. Will I run into you on campus <laughs> and the first words out of your mouth are, hey, I'm so sorry I didn't make it to the house. I'm just not going to say anything. Because I love having you here, but that's not my only concern in life, okay? I know you all are busy. I'd love to have you here, but your spiritual life in my mind doesn't rest on your attendance here. Can we get that out of the way? Okay. Now, but we treat God like that, don't we? God, I'm sorry I didn't read my Bible. I'm sorry I didn't pray. And I think we make it into this big thing. We got to defend ourselves in front of him, thinking that he is like a jealous boyfriend. We're going to talk about how his jealousy is actually different than that. Sometimes we make out, uh, not what you're thinking of. We <laughs> bad choice of words. We, we make ourselves out to be somebody that we're not with him, right? How many of you clean up your language a lot when you walk into this place? Change your language. How many of you can talk the talk, Right? You can use the right Christian language. You can use the right words. Oh, I'm praying for you. Bless you. You know, it's just praying for you. All that stuff. And think that God's impressed with that. He's not. He knows you. How many of you feel like you have to change to be accepted by God? The truth is, of the gospel 
is that that is a lie. God is the one who can and will change you into more than you could ever ask or imagine. But to think that you have to change for him because he's like a jealous boyfriend, that's a lie. So, if God is not like a jealous boyfriend, why on earth does the Bible use, I am a jealous God? And it doesn't just happen here, by the way. Interesting little fact, I did a little study. This word in the Hebrew is only used of God. Nothing else. Jealousy between people has a different form to it. This form of God, this form of the word jealous is only used of God. And the word means more of zealous. He's zealous for his people. There is zeal in his affection towards us. And let me ask you a question about this. Would you rather have a God who doesn't care or a God who is zealous for you? Who will knock over mountains and kingdoms for you? Our God is zealous for us and jealous for you. It's a good thing. God is jealous for us. He is, this is a language, as we talked about last week, a language of, of like a husband to a wife. Not of a nasty boyfriend to a girlfriend that he doesn't trust. We have to redefine what this word means and get rid of all of the human garbage that comes with that word. And so that's why we can sing the song that we sang. He is jealous for me. His love is powerful and never-ending. One of the things that uh, came out in our meeting was that a lot of times when we are jealous of someone else, we're trying to get worth from them, right? When you're jealous of, of a friend or you're, you're jealous of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, you're trying to get something from them. Whereas God's jealousy is such that he's actually trying to give worth to us. Right? That's the difference between us and him. See, God is jealous for us. God wants us so much because he knows he is the only place, he is the only person that can give us life and worth. So, of course, he is going to be jealous and zealous and exclusive for us. He's not trying to get worth from us. He doesn't need it. He's trying to give worth to us. It's completely different. Now, we need to take a second and move on to this next thing, and it's a totally different thing. This next part where he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. All of us focus on that first part, right? Doesn't sound fair. Visiting the iniquity upon the children to the third and fourth generation, what kind of God is this? 
Now, can I tell you a little bit of something? This is David Burke's little interpretation of Scripture one-on-one, okay? Take out your pens and papers. It's going to be on the test. When you come across a difficult passage in Scripture, see if, one, you can find it in other passages of Scripture or if this is an isolated incident. By the way, this is found in a lot of parts of Scripture. God is a God of justice. He does not leave sin unpunished. When he describes himself, he describes himself as that kind of God. So that's one thing. The other part is this. Number one, by the way, is it found in other scripture and does it bear out this interpretation is more important than number two. But number two is this. Test it out with your life experience. Is this true? Let me explain something. I just learned actually in studying this. Third and fourth generation in the Hebrew mindset... Usually in a household, this is so different than our culture, but in a Hebrew household, there were three, sometimes four generations all living under one roof. So another way that you could say this is that that the sin of the head of the household covered the whole household. Now I tested out this illustration beforehand with a handful of people on a contemporary TV show that I have never watched, but I looked on the web today. The Kardashian show, right? Okay. <laughs> Keeping up with the Kardashians. See, I don't even know the title, right? I don't know how many of you watch it, but here's the basic gist of it, okay? There's a family called the Kardashians. They're a little bit crazy. All of them are, okay? Now, does this bear up in life experience? That when there is dysfunction in a family, it has a tendency to come down the generations. I would say this and bear this out in my own life. I shared this in the the very first week. Standing here, I'm supposed to be, because of my family, grandmother, father, and me, I'm supposed to struggle with alcohol constantly. Alcoholism runs in my family, as does depression. All of these things are supposed to just be passed on to me. If we were all living under one roof like, like they were in biblical times, my grandmother, my father, and me, The sins of the fathers, the sins of the the older generation covers the whole household. Now, let me say what this does not mean. God isn't like the um, cosmic blackjack dealer that is sitting up there going, sin for that family, Mm, blackjack for this one, okay? Horrible example just came to my head, so I'll deal with it later, all right? Visiting, the Hebrew, the Hebrew means there's only three English translations, by the way, that say punishing the sins. The NIV, the Good News Translation, and the New Living Translation, okay? Nothing against those translations. I'm not a biblical translator scholar, but the majority of them taught, use this word of visiting, okay? The Hebrew word for visiting the iniquity means taking account of or taking note of, not doling out. So I think that that's important. God takes note of, takes account of the sins of the fathers that is passed on to the third and fourth generation of anyone? No. Those who hate me. The ones that constantly turn their backs on God. God, this is going to be one of the hardest things. If you, you, those of you who have been around the house know that I've said this before. 
One of the hardest things about our God is that sometimes he lets us go. And by that, I mean, he says, if there is a time when you purposely turn your back from what you know he is saying to do, he will often say, okay, you want to walk down that road? You go ahead. I will be at the end of it when you get to the end of it, but that end is not pretty. That's a truth that is borne out all throughout scripture, and I think that this is pointing to the same thing. But I find this so fascinating. I, did the, I, I do the exact same thing when I run across these scriptures. I'm, I'm not saying that anybody in here is strange. If you read that and there's something that makes you kind of go, I'm not sure about this one. But I want us to look at this passage for a second. Why is it that our minds go to that first part and we can't see showing and doing is actually a better word, doing love for thousands of those who love me? We have a, we, we, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 God says that all over the place. But what is this stuff about the generational sin and all, you know, the curse and all that kind of stuff? We all focus on that. I don't think, as I've read this passage, I don't think that that's the intent of it. I think that as the people of God, and I wasn't there, though some of you think I'm that old, but I don't think that that, that these people heard this. The Hebrew people were very practical people. And when they hear that their God is somebody, that when you hate him, that sin gets visited upon your household, versus... If you love him and follow him, then you get love. I think that most people are going, hmm, I think I'm going to go with this one. Because it doesn't even just bless me. It blesses thousands of people after me. And here's the difference between us and them. We don't have that mindset. We want what is best for us here and now. I don't think that many of you today thought about your future children. If any of you did, but <laughs> I really doubt it. That shows that we are different. For the Hebrew mindset, they cared about the family, their family, their future generations, and what it would do. Many of you are just trying to make it through chemistry. And that's not bad. But think for a moment, if you were given this choice again, if you were given this invitation, really, is what it is, to love God and know that for thousands of generations that your sons and your daughters and your grandsons and your granddaughters would be blessed or if you turned your back on him and hated him, that it would be very likely that you would pass on those things to your children. Which would you choose? Would you say yes to that invitation? <coughs> to illustrate this, I can think of one time in my life, one time in my life, that I was scared to ask somebody something and invite them into a life with me. When I asked Kelsey to marry me, it went like this. We had been dating two and a half years, a lot of it, two years of it, long distance. 
I arranged for me, for me to do a church internship in Charlottesville, Virginia, where she was living. And I had a ring made in Colorado Springs, which is where she's from. And I was doing this internship in a church, and I was a children's minister, okay? And I had keys to the church and the whole thing. And for the last two years prior to that, every day or so, that's an exaggeration, but many days, in the Princeton Seminary Chapel up in New Jersey, I was learning how to play piano again. I started playing when I was about nine years old and played for a couple years and then quit. And I started playing again. I just wrote a song for two and a half years. I didn't necessarily know from the very first day, by the way, that I was going to marry Kelsey. But I just started playing. A lot of times I'd go into that chapel and I would just make stuff up as a form of worship to God, okay? But over two and a half years, a song came out. And I, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, the day the ring arrived in the mail, any of you guys that ever get the ring in your hand, with, that, with a handful of exceptions, know that that ring starts to burn a hole in your hand. You want to put it on her hand. The very day I got in the mail, I called her up and I said, um, hey, I'm uh, stopping by your apartment. Um, I forgot something at church. I don't forget things. <laughs> this is just part of my nature, you know. I'm one of those guys that always kind of goes, no, 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 I don't forget stuff. Okay, so surprisingly, she didn't think anything of it. She was going to some like whatever Zumba was in the you know, late 90s or whatever. So the, the 90s version of Zumba, she had like, she was all sweaty and um, had like, <laughs> that was just for effect. Um, anyway, she had her workout clothes on, her roommate was over there and she was like, um, jacked up on caffeine, I think, because she was bouncing around, you know, like, where are we going? What are we doing? You know, and I'm like driving like this, you know, because I know what I'm going to do. So we come up to church and I'm like, and uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot this book in my office. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I had figured out in the sanctuary which lights turned on just the spotlight on the piano, right? And so... Um, I walk into the sanctuary and um, I flip on that light. And Kelsey, without having a clue, she will tell you to this day, she did not have a clue. She goes, play me a song like that. <laughs> so she sits down, she sits down on the uh, she sits down on the piano bench and she starts doing like chopsticks and stuff. And I'm like, this is, this, guys will understand this. I'm kind of getting upset because I'm like, do you know what I'm trying to do here? And she's like playing around, you know, all this kind of stuff. So finally I said, okay, okay, sit in the chair over there, please, and I will play you a song. Okay. So I start playing this song, and um, I wrote words, and I sang them. No, I'm not going to sing on the worship team. Trust me, you don't want to hear it. Okay. But I began to sing. That's when she knew that something was different. And in the song, I talked about, basically, the, lyric, the this lyrics of the song are, 
So lovely, so beautiful, would you please come by my side? So lovely, so beautiful, would you be my bride? And I talked about how God says the same thing to us. And at the very end of it, I got down on my knee and I asked her if she would marry me with a ring in my hand. Now, did I share that story for you to all go, ah, no. I want you to imagine something for a second. Imagine for a moment that Kelsey made me wait for an answer until this day. That I had sung that song, that I had asked her to marry me and spend the rest of my life to tell her that I loved her beyond words. And imagine for a moment if she hadn't answered. How many of us in this room how many of us in this room have been doing that to God for years? The one who has said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He has said, come, follow me. He has said, I go to prepare a place for you. Would you be my bride? Would you let me lead you? Would you let me be your God and savior? Would you turn your life over to me? And he is on a bended knee waiting for our answer. And I don't care if you said it when you were seven at a camp around a campfire. There is something maybe still in your life now that you have kept God waiting. The invitation is there. He says, I want to show steadfast love to you and generations after you. This is the why of the Ten Commandments. Our God is a jealous God, but in a good way, who loves you and me far more than we know. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive me and forgive all of us for the ways that we have kept you waiting, for the parts of our lives that we have clung to like some sort of idol that we have made in our lives, for not believing that you hold the words of eternal life, for not believing that you hold the words for our life here and now. I pray that tonight, if there is anyone within this room that has never made that decision or wants to make that decision again, that they would rise up and they would tell someone tonight and they would say yes to your invitation to a life of steadfast love and kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.